0: Hello adventurers, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 11 of the World of Azuria podcast. My name is Beth Ball, and I'm the author of the Age of Azuria epic fantasy series, which we'll be exploring in this show. In some episodes, we'll be swept away into the magical world of Azuria as I read chapters from the novels and stories. In others, we'll dive into the lore behind Azuria, and I'll answer your questions about the world, characters, and more. If you enjoy epic fantasy worlds, immersive settings, nature-based magic, and vivid characters, then this podcast is for you. In our second season, we're traveling through Buried Heroes, book one in the Age of Azuria series. Today, we have chapter nine and a special guest. The special guest is my husband, Jonathan Ball, returning us dramatically to the perspective of Teodric Adamar. When last we saw Teodric, he had discovered that the attack he had taken part in against a raiding orc settlement on the coast wasn't an orc settlement at all, but a peaceful village of primarily human families. When the dread pirate queen Celeste discovered that her captive mind mage had dispelled Teodric's enchantment and revealed Celeste's manipulation, she vowed to take the mage's power for herself. But first, she and Teodric's friend, Ambrose, renewed Celeste's bewitching of Teodric's mind. To discover what happens next before new episodes are released every Tuesday, you can find Buried Heroes for free at bethballbooks.com shop or at your favorite book retailer. Let's start our adventure.
1: Teodric? Teodric? A rich alto voice called him from the deep. He groaned. A strong hand gripped his shoulder and shook him. Blinking away, a sticky haze, he could see the outline of Kriega's head before him. What are you... Admiral needs to see you on deck. She wrapped her hand around his back and lifted him to a sitting position. Uh, What happened? I just saw you. What day is it? Three days past our attack on the orcs. Three days? You had a seasickness. Something about their settlement. It affected several of the crew, but you're all right now. And the Admiral needs to see me. Why? Krieger ran her tongue over her thick upper lip and around the corner of one of her protruding canines. She made me keep it a secret. A flood of warning rampaged through his system. Danger. There's nothing to worry about. She needs your help with something. Teodric sighed deeply. Very well, thank you, Krieger. I'll gather myself and be up shortly. He changed into a fresh shirt and a vest and combed his hair back and tied it into a knot. After a swig of water and with boot buckles fastened, he made his way above decks. My sweet musician, good morning, the admiral sauntered over, golden sword sheathed at her side and kissed him half on the cheek and half on his mouth. Celeste's lips tingled, bursts of energy that flashed across his skin. He stepped back, surprised. She winked, pleased with herself. We're so relieved you've made a full recovery, my dear. On instinct, Teodric scanned the deck for Ambrose, but there was no sign of the navigator. Was Ambrose in some sort of danger? Celeste stared back at him, eyebrow raised, waiting. Uh, sorry, Admiral, I'm simply taken aback by your kindness and your concern for my, what had Krika called it? "'Illness. The first mate said you wished to speak with me.' Her ruby lips spread over perfect white teeth. "'I have some exciting news for you.' She wrapped an arm around his waist and walked him over to the port side of the ship, the heels and toes of her boots clipped against the deck's polished wood, each sending a ripple of the captain's presence out to her crew. "'Tell me, Teodric, what do you see on our far horizon?' He squinted at the landmass ahead of them, so small as to be barely visible. I'm not certain from this distance, Admiral. She preferred to be the one in charge, and this test was a different sort of game than one that involved his knowledge of Azuria's western lands. Celeste withdrew a golden telescope from a hook on her belt and twirled it in her fingers before she handed it to him. Here, she pressed her body against his. They hadn't been sexually intimate for more than a year. Was he supposed to not be aware of that, or be smitten with her all over again? She did like to think of herself as irresistible, and, at first, that was usually true. Look again. Her whisper tickled the inside of his ear. It would be safer to play along for now. He glanced down at her with a half-smile and a low chuckle in his throat. She'd liked that before. With a flourish, he unspooled the telescope and pointed it at the mass of land. The port city of Nortalan unfurled before him. His blood ran cold. She'd done something to his mother, and here he was playing along with her sick game and waiting for the reveal. A few ships floated at the docks, two of her own and a scattering of merchant vessels. It uh, seems we're sailing for Nortalan, Admiral. Very good. She twirled her fingers through a loose strand of hair at the nape of his neck. And why might we be approaching Nortelan? I haven't the faintest idea, Admiral. He turned back to her, a purr in his voice. Please don't say it's for Aurelia. Please don't mention her at all. Look in the harbor for a golden ship. He noticed it the first time, one of the two with her flag. Was it Steinvoss's ship? The Dread Ascari or something like that? I'd see her, Admiral. She's beautiful. Hmm. Celeste waited for him to turn back to her and gripped his chin between the sharp nails of her thumb and her pointer finger. She drew his head closer to hers. It's yours. Her eyes flashed, delighted with her surprise. It had to be a trick. I, I, I don't know what to say, Admiral. Of all the sailors you have to choose from... Was she waiting to divulge something more? I will graciously see this doubt as your own precious modesty and not a questioning of my judgment or methods. Teodric widened his eyes and mixed fear and alarm in his expression. Uh, Beautiful Admiral, forgive me. I am simply... What was she looking for? Amazed at your generosity in selecting someone such as myself. You have served me. Her eyes glinted at the double meaning quite well in the past i should like to afford you the opportunity to do so again it would be my pleasure theodric curled up on his cot below decks a captain but why had she chosen him it could still be a trap celeste had pulled similar tricks before he searched back through the stories in his memory the closer he peered the foggier it became a holdover from the sickness nothing more. They would arrive in Nortelan at dawn the next day. Mother, I've been made a captain of my own ship, he would say. That's very nice, dear. Can we return to Linoland now? Your father is waiting for us. Should he tell her again that he had spent two fruitless years searching for his father, or should he allow his mother her fantasy that one day Frederick Adamar would return to her safe and sound? Uh, please, sir, if you could spare just a moment of your time. I'm looking for a human man with dark brown hair. He's... I see four right there. He's one of them? No, he's my father. He's missing. How long? Two years. Heh. He's dead. Or he found himself a new family. Either way, time to say goodbye. Over and over again, in Nortalan, Andalsehevra, small cities along the coast, even in the Alenor... He'd asked after his father's disappearance. Joining Celeste's ship had been driven by financial necessity, but she and her crew traveled widely. If anyone was able to find him or knew someone who had seen him, her web of influence was his best bet. These memories came flooding back as he prepared to see his mother once again. He'd tried to explain Frederick's disappearance, but she refused to understand. I'm sure he's held up at court. Probably too busy in Thiles Thaymor. You know how the elves are. We've no record of the Merry arrival in Alinor at this or any other time. The Elven Dockmaster had sneered at him. Perhaps you should look at one of the human ports. We've little to offer you here. He was an ambassador from Llymolin. He came to speak with your leaders and form a diplomatic relationship, as well as to ask for help on behalf of the government of Nortelon. Well... He didn't arrive in port. What more would you like me to say? Teodric shook his head, trying to put the memories in the back of his mind. They didn't help, and only served to cause further pain. He'd need to select a crew after they arrived in Nortalon, though the Admiral would place several of her own people on board as well. Hopefully Ambrose would be well enough by then to join him. He would make for an exceptional first mate, though he would demur and say he preferred being a navigator. Teodric pulled out his mirror and razor. He kept the hair on top of his head and down toward his neck long, and wore it slicked back on land, tied up at sea. The sides were still short enough from his close trim a few weeks before, but he'd need to clean up his facial hair before he saw his mother again. A short mustache and goatee with a slight stubble. The look of a merchant sailor. A red sun rose as they floated into port, a fitting omen. Celeste always said. She loved the foretelling of blood upon her arrival. Teodric, Krieger, accompany aboard my other ship. We have a promotion to undertake. Krieger set her jaw as usual. Her forearm muscles rippled as she uncrossed her arms and pushed herself off her leaning spot on the railing. Was Celeste calling her for backup, or was she the true recipient of the captain's position? With her involvement with the Admiral, she wouldn't want to serve anywhere except for the Dominion. He had taken extra care with his clothing that morning, adding a satin vest and feathered hat. After his neighbors fell asleep, he sharpened his rapier in case he needed to defend himself at some point in the day. If fortunes turned, he wasn't simply going to wait for Celeste to dispatch him. "Uh, What happened to Steinvus, Admiral? Teodric asked as he walked just behind her to the gangplank. Nothing yet, she grinned. Teodric's blood ran cold. What was she planning to do? A red sky, indeed. The admiral strode confidently down the dock and completely ignored the dockmaster, who nearly squealed when he saw her. Kriega gave him a short nod, and the man logged the ship's arrival. Depending on the trip, at times the Dominion was officially there, and at other times, despite all evidence to the contrary, it was not. The group made their way swiftly to where the dread Ascari was docked. "'Admiral!' The first mate, Quellen, called from the deck. You have caught us by a bit of surprise this morning. I find that hard to believe, as we've been visible on the horizon for any who've been looking. As far as I'm concerned, you're always just on the horizon. With your fleet, beauty, and might, you've the hold on it all. Celeste gave the middle-aged man a half-smile. She enjoyed flattery, but fear marred the elegance of Quellen's delivery. The man disappeared as they reached the bottom of the gangplank, and he and Steinvass, a burly half-elf, stood and waited for the boarding party at the mast. All on deck did their best to look busy as Celeste scrutinized them. Those who hadn't sailed with her before were well enough aware of her reputation. Steinvass, thank you for having us aboard. Uh, my pleasure, Admiral. And how goes your mission? I was surprised to find you in Nortolan as we've already searched here. The captain froze. Uh, yes, Admiral, we have. My crew and I, we stopped for supplies. We we were on our way to meet you at the island. But I am not returning to the island for some time. A pallor seeped beneath his tan, sea-worn skin. Uh, I'm sorry, Admiral. My mistake... We couldn't find the... Steinvus looked for Teodric, then back to Celeste. The item you were searching for, and morale was low. We lost a few to the centaurs, and there were rumors. Celeste held up her hand, and the captain practically swallowed his tongue. Kneel, Captain. Uh, Admiral, please, we'll find it. Quellen, you as well. He shook as he knelt beside the half-elf. Kriega, what do we do to those who disobey us? A trial by sea and a charge of mutiny, if they're lucky. And if they are not. The blood eagle is a favorite of mine, Admiral. Steinvist trembled. Teodric had never seen the torture performed, but from his reaction, the condemned captain had. He sobbed and bit his lip. "'so fiercely to quiet himself "'that beads of blood formed where his lips met. "'What is the punishment for mutiny, Teodric?' "'Death, Admiral. "'Why did she have to be one of the predators "'who played with her food?' "'Very good. "'Do it,' her low voice purred the execution command. "'Steinvus shook, the tendons in his arms taut "'as he gripped his hands together "'and tried to hold them still.' Please, Admiral, she hissed at the begging half-elf and looked at Teodric. Now, the groveling man turned to him, tears falling from his brown eyes. What stories leaked away there, things only Steinvus would know, his own versions of the people he had loved and loathed, the identities of each person he'd known cut short by the extinguishing of this one's life, limiting thereafter who they would be in another's eyes. Please, he whispered. His mother had said something similar, hands clasped together, almost bowing at the feet of Duke Amastasia as they were expelled from the castle, sent on a diplomatic mission across the sea without an end date to their service on the document signed by the king himself. Bile rose from his stomach up to his throat. It was because of him that the Duke had acted against his family. He'd done nothing but try to free Elioth. The woman he... Teodric mentally shook off the thought of her. How many people had this man killed in his service to Celeste? How many crew members in cold blood for only the whiff of dissatisfaction with their captain, or to take a greater portion of the allotted ten percent of the treasure? The shaking man's eyebrows knit together. Teodric contemplated mercy. What Steinvoss's life could be like if he were allowed to live... Theodric dying in his stead and Celeste's blind rage at disobedience. Just as he learned in his first weeks on the ship, he drew his rapier quickly across Steinvus's throat. Blood shot forward. Celeste laughed, and the man crumpled to the ground. Kriega? The half-orc stepped forward, her braids caught in the wind. She clutched either side of Quellen's face, the faintest of whimpers and a sickening snap as she twisted. His body went limp, and she dropped him to the ground. Celeste's eyes danced at the sea of crimson that poured forth from the man who had previously held the position he was ascending to. Next time, Theodric, no hesitation, or that will be you, she grinned. Now, Captain, kneel. She glanced down at the pool of blood that dribbled around the wooden bottoms of their shoes and lapped against the shaggy hair of the deceased first mate. Teodric forced the bile down, thinking of his mother's nightmares, her deep confusion after his father disappeared somewhere in the wilderness of the realms. He bent his knee into the warm, sticky liquid. It seeped into the suede fabric of his breeches. With her own golden sword, Celeste imitated the royals all over Azuria and swore Teodric into her service, appointed to the rank of captain. Kriega will be your first mate, she said as he rose. The half-orc glowered at him and rolled her shoulders back as the admiral eyed her. He bowed his head. You are most generous, admiral. We will serve you well. I expect no less, she pursed her lips. Tomorrow we'll commission a new name for your ship. Find someone to clean this up and you're free to take your leave. Celeste snapped her fingers and the officers, save himself and Kriega, filed off the ship and onto the dock below. Kriga, if you would be so kind. Teodric indicated the slain man whose blood ran down the front of his shin. He suppressed his shudder till she turned to shout at some of the crew to dispatch the bodies. His first two duties as captain executed... He disembarked from his ship, whistling a sea shanty as he walked up the docks and toward the center of town. He stopped at a pub just before the high street for an ale to dull the morning's activity, and then strode on towards his mother's
0: home. Thank you so much for joining me and Jonathan for today's adventure through buried heroes in the world of Azuria. If you'd like to find out more about me or my fiction, you can find me at bethballbooks.com. You can also find my books worldwide at your favorite bookstore or ask your local librarian to add them to the library catalog. To stay up to date with the world of Azuria and be the first to know about upcoming fiction projects, visit bethballbooks.com join. I would love for you to be a part of my reading community, The Story Enclave, and as a special thanks to you, for a limited time, you'll receive a free ebook copy of Aurora when you sign up. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at BethBallAuthor or on Twitter at GroveGuardian, or you can email me, Beth at BethBallBooks.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Amber Queen, book three in the Age of Azuria series. Amber Queen picks up our hero stories after the events of Hedvarian Heist book two. I won't say more here to avoid spoilers, but it's a really fun and exciting novel. You can pre-order your copy of Amber Queen at BethBallBooks.com slash shop or at your favorite bookseller. If you enjoyed our time together today and would like to hear more stories set in Azuria, you can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash groveguardianpress. Look for the Faye and Damon Tears. we return to Buried Heroes next Tuesday, July 13th, for Chapter 10, where we venture back to the Vagarville Wood with E. Elioth and Yuvain. The theme song for this podcast was created by Garrett Rose of The Bardic Inspiration, who you can find on Instagram or Patreon at The Bardic Inspiration. Happy travels, and I hope that we'll be adventuring together again soon.